0: Right, so you might think that metadata is just the stuff that goes in your YouTube videos or
1: in your MP3s when you export them. But have you heard of a fixed character with all caps, Unicode non compatible, Telnet compatible format that was last innovated in the 90s? Because that's how musical artists get credit and get paid
0: for their work, so it's kind of important. My name is Matt Kenyon, and you're listening to Composer Code. Composer Code is the podcast dedicated to demystifying the music creation process by unearthing the experiences, mistakes, and hard-won insights from some of the best video game music makers on the planet. In this extremely insightful interview with Materia Collective founder, Sebastian Wolf, we discuss things like metadata, the origin story of one of the biggest collaborative video game music communities in existence, and the biggest source of revenue for Materia Collective's composers. And it's probably not what you think. Definitely took me by surprise. Oh, and I kind of make a fool out of myself trying to understand how music licensing works, so sorry about that. Thankfully, Sebastian is a gracious, patient guy who really loves to empower video game music
1: creators even really slow ones like me um what drew me to video game music is sort of a roundabout story um it's one of the questions i love uh, discussing with other composers and other professionals working in game audio because everyone sort of has their own unique way of how they found their way into the into the community and uh the industry um for me um I didn't play a whole lot of games growing up um, at N64 and played a little bit of Diddy Kong Racing and Quest 64, but ultimately what did it for me was um, discovering arrangements on uh, vgmusic.com and OC Remix, and, you know, I grew up playing piano, and so ultimately I found my way into, you know, playing uh, some of the uh, piano collections from Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts, and, you know... 15 20 years ago there wasn't a whole lot of official sheet music and you know as one does uh, when there is no sheet music one makes his own sure and that's what i did Uh, so over the past goodness decade or so i have something like 600 arranged uh, pieces that i just transcribed and arranged for piano and a bunch of other instruments uh, just because there was a lack of it and you know jumping jumping forward a couple of years um throughout college you know i kept up with music studies and arranging and then when a friend approached me whether I wanted to start a music company I said yes absolutely let's do it Um, and then I stepped away from that company and now I'm running material collective full-time with the goal to basically or with one of the goals being to empower the next generation of musicians who are growing up with games right now might have an interest in you know uh, self-expression through the music of those games and maybe even considering games as a career uh, or game music as a career. So, I essentially want to be want to be one of the people there to open those doors and have those opportunities available for the folks, you know, in the same way that I wish I had had those opportunities 15 years ago. What
0: was it about video game music that drew you to it as opposed to to other genres? You know, you're a pianist, you could have gone in several different directions. What was so uh, enchanting
1: about the the game music that you were playing? I mean, Kingdom Hearts was the first uh, the first franchise I really fell in love with. You know, mm-hmm. Yoko Shimamura's melodies are, you know, memorable. There's a whole lot of great motivic material there. Um, you know, the melodies that just get stuck in your head. Yeah, after that, branching out into, you know, Final Fantasy and Castlevania and Zelda and Mario and everything else um, just sort of took its natural path. Um, I think one of the things I enjoy most about game music now, you know, having a much broader understanding of you know, the the industry and the context of everything is um, video game music is one of those is a very special niche, both within uh, the music industry and sort of as an abstract concept in games. It's one of the very few things that can sort of assume its own context outside the world of uh, games by itself. Mm, yeah. So you can continuously have, you know, the soundtrack celebrated as unique works you have your cover song and remix and chiptune and uh, live performance um, of video game music. And it, it doesn't really exist in similarly situated industries. You know, yeah. Maybe a little bit in film or TV, but nothing to the extent of the game music community. It really and, is. It really does stand alone as a medium in that way. I agree. And of course, uh, with that comes a very passionate fan community Absolutely. that's there to celebrate the composers and the music. The first company that you started, uh, you mentioned you started a company with your friend, right? Yeah, I was one of the co-founders of a company called Louder. Um, Louder uh, was one of the first uh, digital distribution companies that licensed cover songs, which of course was one of my big goals when I uh, you know, recorded covers back on YouTube. I really wanted to find a way to get them out on a larger platform. You know back in the day 2006 2007 youtube was the slow buffering video website that occasionally right. loaded all of the video right I, and it, it was great for what it was you know um but you know there was a, there was a limited reach um so i you know got together with three other friends and back in college we decided to found the company that would ultimately become louder Um, and through that we helped More than 20,000 artists sort of start their careers uh, via cover songs and remixes and doing it all legally, of course. I want to
0: talk a little bit more about the licensing process, because that is kind of a mysterious black box to a lot of creatives (laughs) that we we throw the word around, but we don't quite understand. But first, I want to ask how Materia Collective got started and how does one go about starting a label? Uh, how, how does that even work? How do you how do you you know say I'm I'm going to get this thing off the ground? Um, and and also probably mm. piggybacking on that question is um, for those who may not know or fully understand how
1: exactly does a label work? Oh that's that's a great number of questions. Um, f- fantastic. So I I would hesitate to call Material Collective a, a true label. Um, because I think the the foundation of what it really is is the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in some circles, a record label is a four letter word. So I tend to tend to stay away from that uh, phrase or that brand as a thing. You know, Material Collective is a community of game audio professionals. You know, we we strive to make opportunities um, happen for composers who either might not know of the opportunities. Or um, you know have the resources or ability to execute on those, and then of course for the fan communities, we want to have those same opportunities presented to them by you know furthering the reach of uh, you know what anyone might be able to do on their own. You know we <laughs> one of the big things we realized in the beginning was you know by having these uh, gigantic collaborative albums, we're able to amplify the reach of you know what any single one collaborator might be able to accomplish right right so uh, teamwork and all that um how material Collect- collective got started is um is really interesting so at e3 um uh, in 2015 uh, when they announced the final fantasy 7 remake um, i was i was still employed full time at the company uh, at louder beforehand you know, when I saw the announcement and saw the trailer, and you know, joined the rest of the internet and being thoroughly ecstatic about the entire concept, and one day, of course, it will be released in full. Um, but I made a post on Facebook, you know, very casual. Hey, you know, I saw Final Fantasy VII is getting a remake. Is anyone else interested in potentially joining me on a small remix project? You know, do a few covers that celebrates the music um we ended up with 192 artists uh, wow. that joined for this project our debut project called materia about five and a half hours of music 87 tracks five discs um <laughs> and that sort of set the the pace for materia collective collective as a whole uh, you know it was it was featured around the internet uh, got a ton of acclaim uh, featured a whole ra- range of talent and you know as before mentioned 192 artists who all played and arranged and orchestrated and sang and wrote lyrics for and so on. And from from that moment on the community was born and after the project came out we sat around and said okay let's do it again, that was fun. And we followed Materia in its footsteps with Successor, a Final Fantasy VIII album, and since then we've released about a dozen other community projects. And over 50 uh, other original soundtracks and independent remix albums and cover albums that uh, other, you know, artists from the game audio community have produced.
0: So what does it look like for you to manage Materia Collective from day to day? Is it? Doesn't it all boil down to that? Everything. It's all spreadsheets. It's no spreadsheets all the way down. <laughs> So when you, you talk about, you mentioned that it's all about um, amplifying some of the work of independent collaborators, connecting them with opportunities and opening doors that they may not be able to open themselves. Can you maybe give an example of what that might look like for an artist who, who joins Materia Collective? And also, if you want to talk sure. about
1: your day-to-day work there, too, I think that would be, that would be interesting. As sure. Well yeah I'm happy to tackle both of those uh, i mean from the from the day to day perspective um, you know back when back when we started louder uh, in two thousand nine, one of the things I really enjoyed was how like in the startup culture and, uh, in the early stages of a company, how every day offers uh, essentially a new puzzle, a new opportunity to solve something or create something new and cool you know um, there is there's very little consistency from day to day in terms of, you know, the fires that need to be put out or the opportunities that present that might expire in 24 hours, or even just, you know, <laughs> down to doing all the, all the stuff that comes along with running a business, you know, bookkeeping and payments and ordering supplies and boxes and shipping and uh, research and opportunities and all of those other things. So no single day is the same. And I think that's what I really enjoy about, uh, you know being at material collective right now the day-to-day is a lot of spreadsheets so i i built my own custom content management tool to handle the uh, mountains and mountains of metadata that comes along with the music industry um, as well as finding a way to route all the royalties co- collect collectively and correctly um, you know one of the big tenants we have is to ensure that the right people get paid and get paid on time um, and then sort of what is presented on social media scratches the surface of what actually happens behind the scenes. Um, I enjoy putting, you know, placing my artists into the spotlight rather than taking that up myself. Uh, So it's, it's really, really cool to see, you know, artists careers take off. Yeah, you seem like, just from our conversation, you seem like a,
0: like a really humble guy who just wants to empower other people and I could be wrong
1: about that, but that's just my first impression well, thank you. Um, as we're talking. I, I hope to embody that, of course, but I think that attitude is required when working in the game audio industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funny comparing it to, say, the, the film or TV communities where it... Um, from what I've heard and have people tell me is that it tends to be much more competitive rather than collaborative. Yes. So the... You know, I'm I'm based in Seattle, and we have a fantastic indie game development scene, as well as a big AAA community here. So, you know, we have weekly meetups for indie game developers. We have weekly meetups for game audio professionals, and it's it's very collaborative. You know, at the end of the day, we're all nerds making really cool things happen for an interactive medium that millions of people will enjoy. So there's there's plenty of opportunities to go around and. I yeah. think all learning together and growing together has to be one of the tenets of anyone working professionally in this field. Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as an engineer. I'm, I'm passionate. I'm passionate enough about code to go ahead and you know build a custom system that gets the job done. Um, but that's sort of where the where the love for pull requests ends. Um, <laughs> I'm passionate about what it accomplishes. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, the the big big thing that we learned at louder. Uh, even in the early days, was that you have to account for edge cases. Um, And what I mean by that is that the music industry is filled with inconsistencies and incongruencies, you know, uh, many, many aspects of the music industry are technophobic, you know, they fear innovation, they fear, uh, you know, the internet as a whole. Um, There's a there's a metadata exchange format that um, rights holders and publishing companies use to exchange information. Uh, it's a um, for the for the technical nerds out there. Uh, it is a fixed character with all caps, uh, Unicode non-compatible, Telnet compatible mm. uh, format that was last innovated in the '90s. Gotcha. And, uh, um, that is still the most modern advancement of metadata exchange in 2018. Wow. Uh, It's it's fascinating really. So when when you hear about people complaining that they're not getting paid or not getting the royalties that they deserve, Mm -hmm. it's it's largely due largely due to the fact that you have many um, many decision makers who fear innovation and change to the degree that they will not invest in forward thinking technology. Mm. Um, So yes, backing up uh, (laughs) louder tends to be the sort of opposite of that where. You know, we realized early on that we needed a fascinatingly fast and complex uh, tech stack to really accomplish like what needed to be done in the industry. Sure. And given that there are so many nuances about music and licensing and royalties and rights, uh, especially on an international level, um, there there is no there is no solution other than a custom one that can be built to really accommodate all of those, well, edge cases. So... When when I built uh, the Materia dashboard, uh, it's a custom content management tool uh, that I hope to make public for Materia's artists later this year so that everyone can log awesome. in and see their sales and stats and update their artist profile and, you know, get tips on how better to improve, you know, aspects of their online identity, all such things. So so when I built it, it was <laughs> with the edge cases in mind, and that has really right. uh, <laughs> really been beneficial when receiving royalty reports and statements and all that other boring stuff can you give just
0: a brief primer on what the role of metadata is um in the artist uh, sort of getting compensated for their work because the only experience that i personally have of metadata is like uh, youtube metadata for example or metadata mm-hmm. when i export uh, a song that's that's an mp3 um, and I want to give a, a a piece of software like iTunes information about it. Um, that's mm-hmm. my extent of that knowledge. Can you m- maybe just briefly explain how metadata works to help artists
1: get paid? Oh, absolutely. Um, metadata is the lifeblood of the new music industry. It's it, it's absolutely essential. It has to be the cornerstone of uh, any anyone working in the music industry has to understand its importance. Um, Part of the reason is, of course, uh, track identification, composition um, identification. You know, if you have an MP3, that's an audio recording. There is, um, there is a composition aspect. You know, who, who wrote it? Where did they write it? When was it first published? In what country did they record it? Um, what is the cis- citizenship or nationality of the composer? Mm. Are there more composers? Um, are they affiliated with a PRO, a performing rights organization like ASCAP? Um, are you know, do they have a publisher? Where's the publisher located? What is their information? How can we contact the publisher? All of that information is absolutely vital. When, you know, a song plays on Spotify, that Spotify knows um, where to get a license and who to pay. And the onus is really yeah. on the music industry, the, the labels and the publishers to provide as much information as possible. Because without it, you know, if if you have main theme by Koji Kondo, that's not going to help anyone identify the specific composition. Sure. You, know, you might yeah. know that it is maybe that it is maybe Nintendo, but you know, Koji Kondo wrote a lot of main themes. What what would you
0: recommend artists who are totally green in that area to do to make sure that they at least have a rudimentary grasp of <laughs> metadata enough to to, you know, make sure that they're compensated.
1: Well, I think uh, I think the better piece of advice would be to give artists an understanding of the importance of um, knowing at least a baseline of music industry and its practices. Uh, mm-hmm. Metadata is, of course, a big part of that. Yeah. But I mean, I firmly believe that any artist working in the music industry or the game industry creating music has to know fundamental basics of uh, you know music law, music copyright, music business, just to sort of have that surface understanding of like, oh, these are the important factors and this is how I get paid. Uh, I do have a blog post where I have outlined a couple of books that I suggest. I'm happy oh, to send that to you as well.
0: That's exactly what I was going to ask. That's my next question. I'll make sure to put that in the description <laughs> of, of this uh, of this episode. How, how does uh, an organization like Materia Collective stay running? You know, obviously you got bills to pay. How, do, how does that work? How do you make money? How do you, how do you, um, when, what other, what other things do you do, um, maybe specifically besides connecting other artists for
1: collaborations? There's, there's one thing that always disappoints me, especially in video game music. And that is sort of un uh, like seeing opportunities and potential just come and pass by, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially someone who has a, a slightly more in depth understanding of the opportunities that do exist, right? So you know, as as you're watching sort of these opportunities come and flow by, you know now through Material Collective because we have you know over 600 people in the Facebook group, um, so we do have a fairly decent reach uh, into into the community, uh, both the fan gamer, uh, the fan community, and the professional community. Uh, so by seeing a lot of those opportunities come, we're able to pick up on some of them and say, hey here's a cool project that I think we could do that, you know, fans will like that maybe even the original composer might endorse or be a fan of.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: The the latest one is actually uh, uh, we're working together with Lena Rain, the composer for Celeste. Oh yeah. Um, A phenomenal uh, indie game and indie soundtrack that came out. Um, If you like platformers um, similar to super meat boy in terms of uh, challenging potential, Right. Um, very, very polished, beautiful music, uh, great storyline. I, I can't, gush enough about this game and the music. Uh, but we're I, I keep seeing Lena.
0: the name of the game thrown around, so I definitely need to need mm-hmm. to check it out and listen to the soundtrack at least.
1: Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's on you know Bandcamp and Spotify and everywhere. Um, but we're working together with uh, Lena Rain, the composer and Trevor Allen Gomez, a pianist and arranger, to put together an official Celeste Piano Collection. So that's that's an opportunity that came by. I saw the game come out, uh, you know, and thankfully Lena Raine was also in Seattle, and we got to meet up and have coffee and gush about sheet music and projects, and, you know, from then on, we basically said, yeah, let's do it. So that's awesome. there's an example of, uh, you know, seeing, like, this, this would be a really cool project, you know, for material collectives. And we're willing to invest a little bit of cash for the recording, upfronting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, expenses for, you know, printing books and mailing those around the world to fans who might be into it. We're willing to take a risk for a project sure. um, by bringing it out to life, you know, bringing, bringing a physical product into the world that, you know, might be successful might not be successful but i I see more of the success in terms of you know are there going to be people who connect with it and find it important enough to support
0: when you were talking um i was reminded of a venture capitalist uh like Mm -hmm. firm um who they take a risk by investing in organizations um and Mm -hmm. the idea is that they get a return on their investment by assessing um, the risks and saying, I think this is a good investment. I think I believe in this company. Would it be safe to say that materia collective is, is similar in some sense where you see an artist or you see a collaboration (laughs) opportunity and you invest in that opportunity kind of in, as a sign of faith that I believe this will, this will be, you know, a a powerful uh, piece of art. And when you do do that, um, I'm curious, uh, how, how it works with um, Materia Collective getting paid
1: and the artists getting paid and how, how, how does that all break down? That's an interesting comparison. Um, it, it actually took me far too long to make that connection. You know, I, I have familiarity with, you know, venture capitalists, um, you know, I've been an investor myself uh, and of course also on the uh, producing part of the startup and creating a company with uh, a board and investors and all that. Um, it took me far too long to understand that what record labels are in the traditional sense are essentially investment firms you know they They see talent that you know they think they can bring to a new level through you know resources or marketing or tutelage or um or even just throwing money at marketing and hoping that you know it's a return of investment for everyone and that the artist does well enough to get to that new level in, in a way that is how I'm approaching material collective. Um, I'm not as risk averse as, um, probably larger venture capitalist sure, firms sure. would prefer. <laughs> right. But right. then again, um, you know, if, if we have two out of 10 projects make their money back and more then we can have more projects that we support and bring to life. Sure. Yeah. Um, of course on a financial level, um, you know, we recoup our upfront investments and then take a small percentage of um, all the money that comes in after that. Um, we prefer that the artists get the bulk share um, of any money that is made. You know, we offer a service uh, that's a little bit more than just distribution. You know, we have, we have a brand, we have support, we have a community that is all behind it. Um, and I think more than anything, we have the tool set and the knowledge to support the artists along the way.
0: When you're kind of uh, ta- uh, talking to an artist and maybe giving them counsel, and they're saying, "You know, I, I want to be the wisest I can with my resources. Where should I go? Where Where do you guys see the most traction as far as sales and revenue and that sort of thing?"
1: Oh goodness! When you find that magic formula that works for all artists, you let me know right oh, away. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, I figured <laughs> if it was that easy, right? Right. Um, traction. Um, so so we. Uh, we're the both the rights administrator, the publisher, and the distributor for the Undertale soundtrack outside Bandcamp. Um, honestly, uh, Spotify accounts for most um of the revenue that comes in. Gotcha. Um alongside alongside Apple Music. So uh, it would be it would be foolish to say that streaming um, is negligible. Mm. Maybe five years ago it accounted for 15-20%. Yeah. Uh, right now it, it's it's more than 50 percent wow um, especially okay. for the dem especially for the demographics that will be shaping the next decade of music um it's it's always so funny you know there's no shortage of uh, technophobic writing online that says you know spotify is literally the devil sure and it's um you know whatever you think of their their corporate uh, tactics or you know whatever i think it's a fantastic company and yeah. i think they're doing right by artists Um, That's really, well, you, you I mean,
0: obviously you're in the industry, so I definitely trust you more than a keyboard
1: warrior on a blog. (laughs) Keyboard warrior. I like that. Yeah. So that's, that's good. It's, it's true. I mean, there's, you know, there's no shortage of um, companies that focus on the bottom line rather than, you know, building a sustainable business model. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think Spotify is great. I think Apple Music and iTunes are great. Yeah. Tidal is a fantastic company. I like that they, you know, stream, you know, ninety-six forty-eight quality uh tracks. It sounds better than anything. It's phenomenal. Um and I think as with as with everything, you know, streaming works at scale. If you have an audience that wants to listen to their music, they will go and listen to your music. Um versus as before, you know, you buy a CD, you listen to it, and if you don't like it, you don't listen to it anymore. Sure. And you know the the whole golden age of uh, the music industry. I mean, it's it's gone, but there's a new golden age coming, and mm. I hope that I hope that those who uh, fear it will uh, catch up and you know join us in innovating a nice future. What yeah. is the what is the golden age you're describing? Can you talk a little more about
0: that? About kind of what also, you see in the it's future? It's a change of
1: tactic, right? Um, I mean, you're I see sort of two directions. I mean, one is of course uh, there's a lot of lot of opportunity in streaming. I think on a larger scale, digital downloads will go away in the next five years. I, I would be shocked if iTunes is still selling MP3s or M- M4As sure. or whatever. Um, I think everything will be consolidated into an access model, much in the same way that you know you don't go to Blockbuster anymore to rent VHS. Right. You now go to, to Netflix and get your membership sure but you know and then you also have to go to amazon prime and get your membership and hulu did get your membership and mm-hmm. then to disney and get your membership right so m- my hope is that that won't translate to the music industry yeah you know we're talking about like the musical panopticon, where you go to one platform and you pay your monthly price and you get all the music that you want the the buffet option of music sure. yeah um, so when you I think um, that's within reach oh, I think that's within reach on, you know, sort of the one side of things. But then, you know, as uh, buying digital music has fallen out of vogue, other than for the explicit reason of knowing that you're supporting an artist directly, as on Bandcamp, um, it has become more popular to have physical collectibles. You know, vinyl is back. Mm. Not necessarily because I think people enjoy it for the audiophile quality. I mean, there's... I'm sure there's plenty of monitors and speakers and vinyl players that do replicate that, but on the mass consumer market, it is a collectible item. You know, I have I have a ton of vinyl, the the Super Hexagon vinyl by Chipsol that eight uh, I'm eight bit produced. It's an actual hexagonal 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 hex. I'm not sure. Hex, it has hex hexagonal sides. Sounds cooler. <laughs> um, yeah, Th- they, they and actually and cut it's it. it's a record. It's a record. It's that's a, a record that's amazing it's Hexagonal, it's a beautiful piece um and that hangs on the wall you know i i can go on bandcamp and spotify and listen to Chipsol and buy her album again but I, I like it as a collector's item you know you get it yeah you get it signed it sits on the bookshelf it looks pretty um in the same way that you know we're we're selling a ton of cds uh we're shipping out a couple of hundred cds every month you know we still have hero of time we have near we have sins of hyrule and more cds are coming in so it's more of um, you know, outside the U.S., we still have a massive CD consumer market, which I think is here to stay. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily for, you know, having your digital media in the form of a piece of plastic, but rather like, oh, I bought this. I supported it. It looks great. It feels premium. It's a beautiful product. Right.
0: And that kind of like uh, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was uh, listening to Hero of Time, which, by the way, is... <laughs> breathtaking. I mean, I have no other way oh, to describe it. It is I, I think it is the definitive ocarina of time uh, it's the non the, the 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 official unofficial ocarina of time <laughs> soundtrack. I mean, for something that's not sanctioned by Nintendo, it is uh, or at least not produced by Nintendo, it is just as good. It, it is I mean, it is really good, man. So so oh, That's a true. Say, honor. Just wanna, I just want to I want to praise that. Was that was all
1: Eric Buckles. My goodness. Yeah, I,
0: I noticed his name and I was going to ask about Hero of Time, but I also noticed that you have some really beautiful uh, uh, physical products and mm-hmm. I, I kind of piggybacks on what you were just saying. Do you find that that is a successful uh, revenue generating model that fans are are kind of getting into that? Because I see obviously sold out, you know, right on the band camp there.
1: Um so is yeah, that we, something that we had a limited uh, so Hero of Time was kickstarted with the generous support of about a thousand backers on Kickstarter. Um and then more, you know, pre-orders of course came in. So we were able to do a super premium production uh with gold plate and slip slip disc covers for the whole digipack experience. Um I mean given given that we won't be producing, you know, 500,000 CDs and be able to sell them. Um, We'd rather focus on something smaller that's premium that fans sure. might enjoy. You know, you know, double double the production and manufacturing costs, and you know, hope we break even if we sell, you know, sixty percent. Sure. Um, but but for things like that, it's you know, it's not really about you know, we're going to retire on you know the income from video game music. Um, it you know, the shining light has to be you know, how do we create something cool for fans? I mean, y- yes, it pays the bills to a certain degree, but. You know, we'd rather take a tiny percentage from, you know, a lot of projects, you know, share that revenue with creators and composers and make sure that, you know, they're taken care of first.
0: So, and I'm so tempted to buy the CD right now because I see that I can get the compact disc and after talking, I'm just picturing it (laughs) displayed on my desk and i want it you know just for that reason mm-hmm. kind of like you talked about it's not necessarily because of the audio the audio files that people buy the records but it is a collector's you know it's a collector's item and that sort of reframed it in my mind where i'm like yeah that would look awesome on my desk and and it would be really cool to display that and um so but shifting gears a little bit that's that's really really awesome uh information but steven our mutual friend he mentioned something. Um, and I, I do hope I'm not misquoting him here, but he mentioned something that you've done, or, he, or you mentioned that you've done a ton for the video game music community, which just by our conversation, I can tell that you have. Well, thank you. Um, by also making it legal to publish sheet music arrangements um, of video game uh, yes. songs. Now, I could be totally speaking out of turn here, but can you maybe talk a little bit about Uh, maybe unpack what he's talking about and also why is it such a big deal um, with uh, for example he linked me to the undertale arrangements you know why is it such a big deal that that uh, arrangers can now sell that
1: and what was it prior that prohibited them from doing that Um, i think i think for context the the video game music or the video game world has a very limited understanding of the music industry and all the rights and licenses and the publishing practices and how the rights management works. Um, there, there's just a, an insufficiency in information that's available and accessible. Sure. You know, sure. you know, in, in most AAA companies, in those cases, you hire a composer, uh, they produce the music, you implement the music and that is the end of the life cycle. You know, thanks to the efforts of, uh, something else, music works, uh, phenomenal, uh, you know, triple a uh, video game music label they're based in new york started by roger nelson a legend and it's a fantastic team over there too uh, they started producing cds in the early days i know they were the first to say hey you know approach bungie and microsoft uh, 343 and all those folks and say hey let's press halo on cds and that took off and Um, I think through that and potentially some of the efforts that I put into louder and, you know, making video game music distribution possible, there is now at least an awareness that, Hey, the music that exists in games, people do want to listen to it somewhere else. Sure. And maybe in an official capacity, that's not, you know, a YouTube rip from the game. Right. Right. So, I mean, as a, as a tangent, you know, I firmly believe that piracy uh, is an accessibility problem. You know, you wouldn't, Nine times out of ten, I think fans will prefer uh, to obtain something legally that's official and has a you know, stamp of approval, rather than something that you know they download from a forum somewhere or find on YouTube. Um, so it's all about making it accessible and convenient. And I think that's honestly why Steam is such a successful story because Mm. they made it super easy for game developers to publish their stuff and super easy for fans to buy it. At least, you know, that's my perception of it.
0: Yeah, that's a really, Um, really, I mean, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. So um, going back to the original point about cheat music, um, you know, there's there's a very limited understanding of the rights that need to be managed and how those can be, uh, you know, further exploited is the legal term, like basically do cool things with it. Um, so we have a we have a really nice partnership with uh, Sheet Music Plus. Uh, they're a Hal Leonard company, and Hal Leonard's one of the big two uh, sheet music publishers in the U.S. Um, since we, so Material Collective has a publishing division um, that basically helps composers manage their rights, uh, register the copyrights, um, help you know cover song licensing, help. You know, if there's a concert that happens, we help negotiate the rights and royalties. Um, Like I said, spreadsheets forever, right? Right, yeah. Um, But the deal with uh, Sheet Music Plus is that um, we allow, uh, we have sent them our catalog, and every time we sign a new composer, uh, we continue sending them new updates to the catalog. So, for example, you can, as an arranger, you can go on Sheet Music Plus and say, hey, I want to arrange a you know, string quartet version of Megalovania from Undertale and sell it directly on sheet music plus. And you can do that right now. Um, and it, it is basically the, the cover song licensing version for sheet music. And given how many tens of thousands of arrangements that exist in the video game music world, you know, why not make it official and licensable? You know, I mean, we, we don't want to compete with, you know, any of the content that fans have put up on, Muse score, you know, I mean, ideally you don't sell it without getting a license, but, you know, it's peanuts. Sure. Um, I think it's it's more about, you know, elevating the video game music fan community from sort of an underground forum experience to this is official, you can publish it, it can be legal, it can, you know, composers can get paid for their work, basically catching up with the trends of the music industry as a whole. So how
0: does, how and you may have touched on this, I'm sorry, I'm trying to comprehend everything oh, sure. how how does sheet music plus function in in collaboration or in tandem with uh nintendo and what is it about the the process on sheet music plus that makes it legal for someone to sell their arrangement that maybe they couldn't before i
1: may have missed that Well, nintendo's its own story um right now right now we only send sheet music plus um catalog that we administrate so we have around 800 songs mm-hmm. that a ton of indie composers have written um you know that have come and they have come to us and said hey i would like you to manage my publishing um so material collective takes care of the royalty collection song registration and sending the catalogs to sheet music plus so um what happens if you know if fans sign up for sheet music plus and publish their arrangements Sheet Music Plus says, oh, it's the song, I will pay Materia Collective, and the Materia Collective will pay its composers. I see. So, so, so how um, does it work Ninten- with Ni- Yeah, Nintendo, I was going to ask about that. How is that? That
0: sounds like there's a story behind that.
1: Well, we, we don't yet work directly with Nintendo to help them manage their publishing rights. Uh, I do hope that one day uh, Nintendo will be working with any music publisher to help them further understand the music industry.
0: Because they're notoriously pretty strict, right, about their, about music licensing and things like that?
1: Um, yes, Nintendo Japan, for example, has a very... Um... <laughs> uh, I hesitated. Um, they, they care very much about how they're um intellectual properties used and presented, which is understandable well given put. that, you know. Well put. And are, I can always edit anything. They are out the kings. Of this, so just FYI. I <laughs> appreciate it. But but no, um, I mean Nintendo's obviously doing something right. You know, I mean you look at 2017 for them and you know I I wish I had more time to play my Switch. I've yet to download Mario Odyssey. Sure. But it's the kind of you know it captures they have they've succeeded in recapturing the interest and attention and passion and excitement for you know a very specific set of gamers right um through the switch and the console and the other games they're putting out right now so they're obviously doing something right in terms of how they perceive value yeah and how they how they curate how that value is used by other professionals and fans alike sure so i think a lot the- of it too boils down to they just
0: are very particular about their brand and their intellectual property and how it's perceived and they just want to have really tight control over every aspect of sort of the Nintendo universe
1: would you yep. say that's your experience as well um, to a large part yes um, you know I've talked with many people at Nintendo of America I know of certain conversations that happened between Nintendo America and Nintendo Japan. And as far as I know, there is some movement happening in, um, you know, innovating on the music side of things. You know, for example, I would love, you know, after Hero of Time, you know, we it it was a complete runaway hit right But we then again we did record with a live orchestra um yeah it's and you know the disclaimer is that of course it's not sanctioned by nintendo but nintendo is getting paid for every copy that's sold um gotcha but but after that success you know how do we follow that up you know i would i would love to work on a wind waker album for example you know yes focus more on uh, strings I and choir wind and woodwinds and love the wind waker sound <sighs> personally what a great soundtrack right very good but um but in order to cover some of the songs from wind waker um we would have to negotiate directly with nintendo mm. um and I'm, I'm not sure that that's a conversation they might be ready to have yet gotcha so we'll we'll see how that goes um i'm well, excited I to think... work with them a bit closer in the future
0: I think just the fact that you are having those conversations and that Nintendo is having those conversations with with you is an incredibly encouraging thing um, that they are talking through the possibility of doing things like that. So just so that um, I understand and our and our listeners understand, to recap for the the Sheet Music Plus, I'm sorry to beat this dead horse. I'm just trying to I'm trying to understand <laughs> no, it. No, totally. It's a bit you confusing. Go, you no, know, yeah, I know. So you go to uh, an organization that has produced a game soundtrack, like Nintendo, for example, and you come up with a a a a um, a deal or some sort of contract that says that any uh, uh, any sales of these of this sheet music will a percentage will go to that company, and then you manage the collection of those royalties that the artists themselves in materia collective create i'm sorry i'm 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 kind of confusing
1: myself let me let me try Um, again (laughs) no dude this is my fault i'm sorry i'm trying so hard to get it no it's uh, no no fault of yours the music industry and its licensing schemes are vastly complex and, and i mean i'm still learning a lot of these things so, what happens uh, for for material's publishing agreements is, um, you know, if if you're an indie composer who has retained his or her or their rights, um, we get to help them administrate those rights. So if you wrote a song called Main Theme, and you come to us and say, hey, I would like you uh, to help administrate, you know, Main Theme for me, we say, okay, great. And then we say, okay, every time, you know, the song plays on Spotify, we want to make sure that you get paid for main theme. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to do an arrangement and publish sheet music of it through sheet music plus, we make sure that you get paid for that. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone wants to record a cover of main theme, you know, they come to us and we grant them a license for it. Gotcha. So, so we essentially become the rights administrator for main theme for you so you don't have to deal with it and so that we can have more opportunities to bring main theme to everyone else who might be you know enthralled with the game or you or the you know the song itself
0: and so when you say main theme are you referring to like an original piece like what if i wanted to say i want to do an arrangement of the super mario uh, 64 main theme what you know um, how would
1: that work or would it work well that that wouldn't work gotcha um mainly because you wouldn't be the composer of that song right and we only work with a composer of songs or the rights holders in the case uh in the case it's a buyout right so um th- i think the important thing to touch on as well is that there are two copyrights um you know you have composition you know where you have all the notes and uh know your thematic material and maybe even instrumentation Mm -hmm. and then you have the recording of that song and those are two separate rights i see and and what we what we help administrate is the the composition itself Um, so for example if you have sheet music of that composition we help administrate that i see now if if nintendo wanted to come to us and say hey we would like for you to help other fans legally distribute sheet music of, you know, the Super Mario Bros. main theme, that would be fantastic. But if yeah. you wanted to, to come to us and say, hey, I want to sell sheet music of that, we would have to go to Nintendo and ask. And, well, that that's for another time. I
0: see. Yeah. So so how exactly, uh, just to, to wrap this up, I'm curious, how did it work with Hero of Time? Like, what was the process for you guys in in clearing
1: that? Well, sheet music and cover song rights are very separate. Okay. Um, so we worked with Louder, who has an established relationship with Nintendo. Um, Louder, again, is the old music company that I worked at. Right. They did cover song licensing almost exclusively. So we went to them and said, hey, we need licenses for these 30 songs. And they said, okay, here you go. Gotcha. And then we paid the licensing, the royalties, of. Uh, you know and Nintendo uh well has been receiving very large checks from us. Gotcha. Okay.
0: I see. I see. So for is that now is that a large is that usually when you go to Louder and you ask for the, the rights to those cover songs, is it usually a, a
1: pretty large percentage that goes back to the original composer? Um it's um in the US it's government mandated. So it's about ten cents per cover. Gotcha. Okay, I um, see. It's it's a bit more for longer songs, but those are all honestly details. Um, but you know, I see. A, as with Spotify, you have very small royalties, but if you get a hundred thousand streams, it does add up. And if Absolutely. you sell a few hundred, if you sell a few hundred CDs or a few thousand vinyl, it does add up, right? Well, um, thank you so much for for taking the time to explain that. Um, right. And I mean, now that now that you've said that, you know imagine how much more of an education there has to be for the people working in the field right sure sure you know and that's honestly one of the things i would uh i would love to work on it um i'm hoping to publish a small pamphlet you know music rights for the game industry professional absolutely um, if you ever had a course like on Udemy or, so. or
0: something i would totally buy that in a heartbeat <laughs> it's in the like works a, like a video oh it's in the works it's in the works. Awesome. It's over- okay, it is overdue. Oh, very cool. Well, I will be. Uh, I'll be keeping my eye out for that. So that kind of segues well into the next question that I had, and that is, um, I think a lot of composers who want to break into the video game composition. Kind of shifting gears to the the composers who want to write original music for original games are a little nervous because um, they don't they've heard horror stories about getting taken advantage of and they don't want to get taken advantage of they want to make sure they're protected so what's some advice that you would offer to young composers maybe getting their first gig in uh, to make sure that they are uh, protected and also properly compensated for for any work they do on a game like what would you? What sort of preparatory steps, I guess, would you recommend um, for those people before they
1: kind of hit hit the pavement and try to get their first gig? Um, one of the things I always tell people: um, if you're given a contract, have a trusted friend read over it, uh, preferably someone who has worked with licensing and agreements before. If you can afford it, um, work with an attorney. Yeah. And uh, my thing is always you can afford it because you can't afford not to work with an attorney so say for example you know you write music for a small indie game and they give you a contract um and you just sign it over and then that game becomes say minecraft yeah um and you know if if it's an indie game you know i know a lot of composers who negotiate for a percentage of sales um for a reduced rate um you know, or, you know, they get to keep on, they get to keep their music rights and sell the soundtrack separately, or they get to do a number of things, right? You know, if it's a small game in a small studio, um, you know, many, many studios tend to be much more approachable. Um, There's a, there's a Facebook group called um, Business Skills for Composers. Yes, I would absolutely recommend. I would absolutely recommend that great um so i'm i'm one of the administrators there alongside uh, a few other mods who have vast industry experience i'm quite humbled to be in the group um but i would absolutely join that group Uh, it has a wealth of information that's just freely given away so i would recommend joining that before anything and just basically doing homework and reading um knowing um knowing that sometimes it's totally fine to step away from a deal is important and knowing that everything is negotiable is also important do you think that um
0: well another thing is that i wanted to to touch on is um i've heard the terms licensing and royalty sharing and sort of getting a percentage (laughs) of the game sales as well as um a, like a buyout people have talked about buyouts and a lot of these terms are sort of get conflated in my mind would you be able to just sort of break down from your experience what what a license looks like what the um you you kind of you already kind of touched on what the the game's uh percentage um what exact i'm not sure what that would be called when you get a percentage of the game every time it's sold um and then what a buyout would be and, and and you don't have sure. to spend a whole so, lot of time on this but maybe the pros <laughs> and cons of of each of those
1: um yeah that's that's interesting um it's probably more complex than i i can fit into a minute but um i would definitely recommend checking out the uh, the facebook group uh, which has paragraphs and paragraphs of information awesome um, licensing okay. um licensing is sort of an umbrella term for um Two or more parties have an agreement, and this is what they agree to, and it has signatures at the bottom, right? So if I say, I'm going to write 10 minutes of music for you um, for, you know, $10,000, and you will pay me within two weeks of it being approved and completed, and you get to revise it two times, and you sign it and I sign it, then we have agreed to it, and that is a license agreement. Right. Um, is it legally binding? Does it cover all the edge cases? Can I submit it to content ID? No, of course not. But no one really wants to <laughs> write or read, you know, your standard 50 page license agreements that are common in, you know, film or larger AAA budgets. Sure, sure. So license, you know, if I'm granting you a license for something, you know, you get to do the thing that I give you the license for. Right. Um, buyout in a traditional sense is uh, all work for hire. So rather than a a license for you to use the thing that I have created, my intellectual property, mm. um, you get all rights, all ownership, all everything for that. And usually contracts like that stipulate that, of course, I have to be credited if I'm creating a thing for you. But the, but the music is ostensibly theirs to do with whatever they want. Whatever they want. Gotcha. Um. In, in the strictest sense of a buyout, um, you know, it gets very complicated with performing rights organizations who, um, stipulate that as the composer, you still get to retain certain royalties, sure. um, uh, which, which gets very fuzzy because PROs are largely a holdover from a previous era of music and it doesn't really fit nicely into the, uh, interactive spectrum. Gotcha. Um, but, but that's sort of what it is. Um, in terms of rates goodness i've seen everything for everything from well it's free to well my rate is 2500 a minute to i will write a song for $6000 um mm. and i mean the, it's the, you know the ceiling is basically whatever people think your music is worth and what they're able and willing to pay for right sure and like i said everything everything is negotiable um of course there are trends you know in indie indie rate for you know music is probably three digits um but it's it's also getting up there but then again you know some studios might not have an audio budget for ten thousand dollars to give to a composer and audio team and might say hey you know would you be willing to consider a reduced rate but you get 10 percent of the net profits for the game sure sure um so some composers like that some composers don't you know
0: which is uh, kind it of like becomes, playing the long game, I, I suspect, where it's kind of, you, you are sort of taking a risk that less money up front, but but hopefully if, that it, if it is a Minecraft or it is a, you know, it is an, uh, another indie game that's sort of taken off, Hotline Miami or, or whatever, what have you, um, that's, you, that, you know, you, you're essentially playing the long game. It's more of an investment, would you say?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um and of course, as with any investment, ten percent of zero is you know, zero. Sure. Or ten sure. percent of a multi-million dollar franchise is a retirement, right? Yeah. So exactly <laughs> most of it is a little bit closer to the zero mark, you know, a couple of hundreds here and there. Um, but you know, occasionally you might have that runaway success. So in those scenarios, I usually encourage composers to vet the team. Um you know, if they have a ship title, great. If not, you know, not only evaluate the artistic and creative properties, but also, you know, are they, are they able to ship a game and make sure that it does well? Right. Right. Is it is right. it commercial enough for it to be financially feasible for me to not work for any upfront and instead get just a royalty? It's yeah. really interesting. It's, it's,
0: um, a lot of it like we talked about how materia collective is very much like a venture capitalist firm where you're assessing the investment and if i want to invest my resources in this person as a composer you kind of need to be sort of assessing the team are they are they organized do they ship games you know do they have a, a bad track record of five canceled games you know that that would definitely mm-hmm. color you know whether you want to work with them or not um so i think that's that's really valuable. Um, Sebastian, yeah, I want to I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for talking to me tonight. I just want to close with two questions, and one is a very light question. We've been deep in the weeds of business <laughs> stuff, so I just want to ask what your favorite game is and uh, your favorite game soundtrack. I have a feeling I know what it is because you mentioned <laughs> it earlier, um, and also...
1: These are the two hardest
0: questions already. <laughs> yes, that's right. I was thinking, you know, if someone asked me, I don't know that I would know. I like I like Sonic, I like Mario, I, I have no idea. And the second is if someone wants to join Materia Collective or find out more about Materia Collective,
1: where should they go? Um <laughs> Well, for the first for the first one, I I can't name a single favorite game or soundtrack. Um I usually have seasonal soundtracks or uh just music that floats past sure um right right now i'm listening to jessica curry's uh so let us melt i don't think i've heard um, of that jessica curry she's the uh, she's a uk composer she did uh, dear esther um everyone's gone to the rapture oh um, wow cu- cu- couple of other things uh really gorgeous music a lot of choir work I will definitely check that um, out didn't... and
0: put a link to her work in the description
1: yeah absolutely um let me let me send you a direct link to her bandcamp. i think everything is up there perfect in terms of in terms of favorite games i <laughs> it's somewhere between breath of the wild because i can pick it up and cook a few meals and put it back down <laughs> yes um, exactly yes you can that's and then if I want to be completely irresponsible and, you know, lose track of about three hours, um Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, because it's just immaculate, it's pretty, it's vast, the storytelling is fantastic, the narrative is gorgeous, um, and the music's just phenomenal. Um it's I'm I'm at the point where I have to very much curate my time of uh, you know, gameplay experiences. I miss sure. passively consuming content without having really a, you know, regard for the time. Right. Um, But, but, you know, (laughs) it was funny, you know, Materia is almost three years old now. And at the beginning, beginning I said, oh, I'm going to start a video game company. Um, I'm going to have so much time to play video games. Uh -uh. Right. Nope. Doesn't, doesn't work out that way. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. Um, But, but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for every moment that I have that I can squeeze in a little bit of time. That's awesome. And, you know, still keep up with, you know, all the innovation and the cool things uh, developers and publishers are putting out. That is really cool. Um, so where can people question,
0: go? Yeah. Where can people go to find more about Materia
1: Collective and, and maybe even join? Um, Materia Collective right now, um, the community aspect is on Discord. Okay. And there's a public uh, join link. I'm happy to send that your way as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and
1: on a... On a bit more private Facebook group, um, right now, uh, it's invite only or we have a referral network. Uh, but honestly, any composer or would be composer who has uh, you know some work that they're able to show, uh, we'd be happy to like have a have a look, have a you know have a look over their work. But we're still trying to figure out exactly the you know membership guidelines, but it, so far it is pretty loose uh, because we want to be there as a support network. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're a professional audio community, uh, that works on projects together and helps each other's, you know, you know, reach greater heights.
0: Wow. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. All the resources that Sebastian mentioned in the talk will be linked in the description below including his industry reading list the soundtrack he's currently listening to more information about materia collective and the very helpful business skills for composers Facebook group the biggest takeaway that I got from this is if you're looking to break into the industry of composing for games you got to be an investor you need to survey the developers that want to hire you or that you want to work for and really assess whether you're going to get a good return on investment. I think that mindset is extremely important, especially when there's money changing hands and dollars on the line. Well, anyway, until next time, guys, thanks for listening.